right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, your daily home for Florida Gators coverage and part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. Make sure to go and throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. You can also follow my co-host Demetrius Harvey over at Demetrius82. Demetrius, say what's up to the people. What's up, everybody? I hope you enjoyed last night's episode of the Locked on Gators podcast. I hope you continue to listen. And to our new listeners, thank you for tuning in. And just, you know, thanks for actually giving us a chance. And hopefully we provide you with excellent Gators coverage, entertainment, and whatnot. So with that, go ahead, Zach. Yeah, and we are joined once again by Jackie Francioli. She is, as I've said before, we we're working towards something where this is becoming regular and we are we are at that doorstep but with that being said uh, she joins us once again uh, as our weekly guest to preview florida versus felipe franks because that's really all this game is uh with that being said jackie welcome back to the show yeah thanks for having me yeah i'm really excited to talk about felipe franks um you know, it's been a while since I've talked about Franks and just anything to do with, you know, the quarterback question. That was always the, the best topic on Gators Twitter was Felipe Franks versus Kyle Trask. So it seems like it's a throwback time this weekend. Um, seeing that a lot of people are asking the question, what would Felipe Franks do with this team? Um, so it's, it's going to be fun seeing him in the swamp. Maybe we'll see him shushing the crowd. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be, a, fun, it'll be a fun time. If he shushes this crowd... With like a, a game-winning deep touchdown over Ron English's safety room, I am going to be levitating. I almost want it to happen. I, you, it would just be great. It would be great on social media. I don't know. I'm, what, sure, I'm sure I don't, you guys would be sad, but I, I don't know what Twitter would have been more cancerous: election Twitter or that Twitter? Oh wow! I'm gonna I'm gonna have to log out. <laughs> log out. Just step away for a couple of days. Uh, but anyway, as as we get ready for this game. We talked about it earlier in the week, and it's always a focus when we're talking about Kyle Pitts, especially if it comes to his availability. And right now, that is still up in the air. He is in concussion protocol, uh, according to head coach Dan Mullen, and he is questionable for the game. He remains questionable after originally getting that label on Monday. By now, even though they talked this morning, uh, so it was before any practice today, we don't know if Pitts was able to end up getting out on the field, but not the best news at this point. He's still definitely dealing with that concussion. And Jackie, you know, even from Pitts's like first round talk aside, when you're thinking about this as Florida and you want to preserve Pitts as much as you can for when you're going to need him most, do you even run the risk? Do you even put him on the field? Well, if you just look at the first few games of the season for Florida, just, just not even counting Georgia's game, when you look at how Florida played without Kyle Pitts on the field, they struggled at times. It just again, Georgia game, they didn't do really well in the second half without Pitts on the field. But if you look at the Texas A&M game, he only played, I believe, what one quarter and a half, and then he, they put him on the bench for a little bit. And then he brought him mm-hmm. out when they Texas A&M came back because they needed to move the offense a little bit. So they brought him back towards the end of that second half to try to get something going. Um, but that's been pretty much the script. If you notice, if you look back the first couple games, Kyle Pitts usually does some stuff in the beginning of the game. Then he hardly gets reps toward the second half. And then they bring him out when they need him. Um, so obviously Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson realize that Pitts is the key to that offense in a lot of times. Um, he's a mismatch nightmare. And I don't think they have a guy consistently to really outmatch a defense like Kyle Pitts does. You can literally toss the ball around the vicinity on him. 
and he'll stretch his arms and grab it for you. Um, Kyle Trask doesn't have to be completely accurate with him because that that man can catch anything. He's a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think without him, you're relying on other guys that does, do not have that ability. Um, I think, don't get me wrong, uh, Kimora Gamble and Keon Zimperer are two talented tight ends, um, two different tight ends. Um, I think Keon Zipper will probably be the the guy that I would say has the ability to pass catch a little bit better than Kamari Gamble. Last few years, Gamble's had a few catches where he's dropped, um, although he's did really well against Georgia. But, you know, there are he's not as consistent as a pass catcher. But I will say both Zipper and Gamble have improved their blockings. Um, I think, actually, I would say that their Keon Zipper is a better blocker than Kyle Pitts. Um, so I think in that regard, it's going to be okay. But as far as offensive production and as a pass catcher, that's going to be a huge loss. Um, will it affect them against Arkansas? Probably not. Um, I think I think they have enough weapons to beat Arkansas. But um, just because I, I think if this becomes an offensive shootout or if it becomes a defensive showdown, I think at one point the depth would lean towards Florida. But it's it's going to be a challenge. You know, Demetrius, absolutely. I'm, I'm almost wondering at this point if Florida does what we've talked about all year and, and comes out with a different game plan where they do come out and they go run heavy. You don't have, or potentially, you don't have a Kyle Pitts that literally draws a bracket. And, and no matter where you put him, you're going to get a ton of attention there pre-snap. When you don't have him, that can allow them to come out and run more of the 12 personnel with Gamble and with Zipper in line who, as you said, Jackie, are definitely both – uh, better blocking tight ends, and that was something that I know you and I have talked about with Gamble going back to the dawn of time. Uh, but when you, if you can get the two of them out on the field, especially with considering how Arkansas does create turnovers through the air, you've got seven blockers down there. You know that they're not, you know that you're not able to stretch them out with pits. And at that point, maybe you just try and run down their throat. Right. I, I actually do think that. Even if Kyle Pitts is cleared by Friday and he can go ahead and play on Saturday, I do think that this game is almost a perfect game for them to try something else out. Because later down the line, you're not going to be playing teams like Vanderbilt, Arkansas. Not to say that Arkansas is a Vanderbilt this year, but in terms of the competition level, once you get into that SEC championship game, if they if they get there against Alabama, if for some reason Kyle Pitts goes down, you need to have a backup plan. So if you're thinking maybe Pitts can't play, then go ahead and change up the game plan a little bit. See what you've got and see what you can do and be successful at otherwise, especially running the football. I mean, we've talked about running the football so many times on this podcast. They need to do more of it, and they've, they've, they just haven't shown that this year. I don't think that they have, they've had a 100-yard rusher this season. They've had, a, they've had a running back that's got 100 yards receiving, but they haven't. I don't think they've had a 100-yard rusher. So – if you can just figure out a way to feed these guys the football, see what you've got when it's a running-based offense instead of a passing-based offense, I do think that that could be a good thing. You know, like you guys have said, Gamble and Zipper are both excellent run-blocking tight ends, so use them in the way that they can be used. And then this also gives you another chance to see what you've got in your other receivers. You can see a little bit more of Trent Whittemore, and you can see a little bit more of Jacob Copeland maybe, Trayvon Grimes, you can get these guys more involved without having to, you know, feed the pits. Because I feel like if I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but around the in the first maybe ten plays of the game, they throw either a deep ball to pits or a seam route to pits or something to pits to get them going. 
So let's see what they've got in terms of getting the team going this week against Arkansas. They're going to need to. I mean, we, we've talked about it. This isn't a team that is supposed to – it's not built to come back when it's losing. We saw that happen against Georgia, and it was incredible, especially considering the competition. But it's just not what they're built for. They're going to have to come out firing, especially with the concern that Felipe Franks can absolutely take the top off of this defense. So something that we'll be talking about a lot more, um, in, you know, whether it's through the rest of today's episode as well as tomorrow's as we get ready for this game will be Felipe Franks. Uh, now we want to talk about a guy that Felipe Franks has some experience with uh, over the, his past two years at Florida, or past three years at Florida, actually, I should say. It's a defensive coordinator that gave him some struggles. And now he's Franks' interim head coach, uh, as Sam Pittman will not be coaching on Saturday for Arkansas with COVID-19. Former Missouri head coach and now the Razorbacks defensive coordinator, Barry Odom, will be the man in charge. We're going to go a little bit over his history against Florida and the challenges that he presents as a defensive coordinator, as well as now the man in charge when we come back from these quick messages. What's up, everybody? This is Zach Goodall, host of the Locked On Gators podcast. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Whether it's work, friends, family, a million pressing social issues, or just an expectation in general to be on 24-7. Sometimes you need to just take a moment, turn off, hit reset. You need to chill. And that's when you reach for a Coors Light. Especially on game days, man. I'll tell you what, I can't really drink much during college football Saturdays, but on NFL Sundays, it's therapeutic for me, man, to sit down, drink a beer, and enjoy some football. And that's what I do. I'll reach for a Coors Light. It's the official beer of watching any sport, just to drink beer. It's mountain cold refreshment that's literally made to chill. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Coors Light is the beer I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. That's get.coorslight.com to get Coors Light delivered straight to your door. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. What's up, everyone? This is Zach Goodall, host of the Lockdown Gators podcast. And I'll tell you what. Being a sports journalist, doing what I do every day, I do need a lot of energy. I'm a guy that's always drank coffee, but recently it's just not been getting it done for me in order for me to break through my wall, which is why I've been going towards Built Go as a replacement for any other energy drink because it's a lot more healthy. It's brought to you by the same folks that brought us Built Bar, my favorite protein bar that we've talked about plenty here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's great because not only does Built Go bring you energy, but it also gives you protein. It's also loaded with vitamins uh, such as B6 and B12, 10,000% of your daily value, and other great things, including collagen protein that's fast-absorbing to get into your system fast. Plus, it's easy on your stomach when you've got a long day ahead, filled with work, where you really need this energy. It comes in three great flavors, my favorite being the peanut butter honey. It's got a kick of caffeine, and it's only 1.5 ounces in each package. So it's easy to carry around, easy to take with you whenever you need it. Visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Let's break through those walls. All right, so Jackie, I believe, honestly, we both will need to defer to you here because I'm still newer 
to the beat, and I didn't get to see Barry Odom against Florida before last year. And I know, obviously, Demetrius wasn't here for it at all. But last year, mm-hmm. it wasn't too high of a scoring game. Uh, Florida, they had moments throughout the game where you could tell they were a bit out of sync, and it ended up being uh, still a win for Florida at the end of the day. It was 23-6, to but certainly not like what we've seen from them before. Now, this offense... This offense has changed from a year ago. It's more efficient. I wouldn't expect to see the same struggles against a Barry Odom unit. However, he can certainly create some challenges for him. Yeah, and Barry Odom has done a great job for Arkansas as a defensive coordinator. He's he's done a good job of making that defense more sound um, and just making them more disciplined. Um, but, yeah, the – Missouri under Barry Odom caused Florida a lot of issues um, in his four years as uh, the head coach of Missouri. Um, I actually, uh, if I want to say last year's 23 points was the most Florida has scored against a Barry Odom Missouri team. Um, mm. I remember the game which brought out Dan Mullins. Um, if I'm going to thumb wrestle you, I'm going to beat you type of speech. <laughs> they had only scored 17 points that game. Um so, and I remember the two years prior to that, that was, you know, Jim McElwain's offense. So I don't want to count those games against Florida. Obviously under Jim McElwain, Florida's offense was non-existent. It was a different, different team. Um, so I don't want to hold that against this team. So I'm just going to talk about the last two, two games, which obviously Mullen was involved with. And yeah, Barry Odom kind of was able to stop a lot of this offense, you know, going and succeeding. Um, but again, that's a different, that was a different Florida. Although last year Kyle Trask was there, you, you're going to have to admit that this is a very different offense, even from last year. It's definitely more, more pass heavy um, than even last year's team, just because you've had a lot of time where Kyle Trask is now the guy, you know, you know, he just came in last year um, after, you know, Felipe Franks went down, he wasn't going to be the guy. But now they had a lot of off-season time to make him the guy, make the you know, playbook suit him. Um, so I think this is a definitely a different team than Barry Odoms have ever faced. And I, I don't see Arkansas being able to hang with them um, for a long time. Don't forget, Odom actually did a good job recruiting defensively at Missouri, too. So you had some, a couple of good guys on that squad. While Arkansas, he hasn't had a lot of time yet, or Pittman hasn't had a lot of time yet to build the recruits he needs, to build that depth. Um, and kind of turn things around on that side. So I still think defensively they're going to be able to hang with Florida for a while. This is something that I, I think is going to happen. It's kind of like what Demetrius said, that this could be a little bit of a trap game emotionally for Florida. So I could see Florida and Missouri being a uh, Missouri, not Missouri. I'm talking about uh, Missouri and Odom, but Arkansas being close mm-hmm. in the beginning. And it's because of Arkansas's defense. I can see this being a little close game. And then suddenly Kyle Trask hits, you know, I'm just going to put the name like Kadarius Tony and does and Kadarius Tony, you know, does a magical, I'm going to stay in inside and go and touchdown with my pinky toe um, and score and, <laughs> and a play like that. They're capable of because they have a talent pool like that. And that's when they're going to score in a way where it just Arkansas just can't hang. So I think that's where the difference is, is where I think Arkansas's defense can hang for maybe like two quarters, maybe at halftime, we're going to see a close game. But then by the third or fourth quarter, they're just going to be gassed. They're not going to be able to hang with all the talent that Florida does possess. But Barry Odom has done a good job against Florida's offense historically every time they played against them. Yeah, now last year, even doing a good job, Kyle Trask did not throw an interception. And, and we know that that can be the thing for Florida's offense, where 
you know, maybe they don't run the ball perfectly, but if you're going to nitpick and you're going to find one thing that is an issue for the offense, it could be that one near turnover or turnover a game that could change things. And if there's anything about Arkansas's defense is that they are ball hopping. They may not have mm-hmm. the talent, and you're right, it, about the second half, it really won't matter. Kyle Trask and them should be able to, as long as they can correct, especially their second half issues offensively, they should have no issue going a full game on this team. But Demetrius, with those concerns, with them creating turnovers, and it's not just in the secondary. We know that the linebackers are doing it as well. How big of a concern is that with uh, with Kyle Trask and with the tendency to where you know there might be that one throw a game where it's dangerous, and if it's at the wrong time, it, it, it could change things. Well, this is absolutely going to be a, a difficult task for Trask. I mean, Barry Odom's a guy who's, you know, if, if he performs well against the Gators and if they beat Florida, he could maybe be in line for the Broyles Award. Obviously, that's the one that's given to the top assistant in college football. And it, it, this defense has just been incredible, especially a year one to year two jump. I mean, they were ranked 110th in total defense last year. And now they're ranked 58th this year. They've been forcing 2.5 turnovers a game, seventh in the country. They've it, it's just been a, you know game after game we've seen this Barry Odom led defense perform well. They only gave up around 13 yards, I believe, in the third quarter to Kentucky last week. It's just it, it's it's an interesting aspect to look at, especially when you look at how the Gators have performed. We've already talked about without a Kyle Pitts. We've already talked about when they're kind of facing a little bit of adversity. We haven't necessarily seen them against a top-flight defense. Obviously, Georgia is a great defense. They've performed well, but they were missing some key guys that actually make that defense go. This week, it's going to be interesting to see now led with a defensive-minded coach, especially since now he's going to be a head coach this week, interim head coach, because Pittman's out due to COVID, of course, and we, we wish him well. But it's just an interesting aspect of, of just seeing if Kyle Trask does have those mishaps where, you know, we you saw it against Georgia, that if that if that ball was intercepted near, I think it was in the third or fourth quarter, if that would have been intercepted, it would have been a six-point game. And you don't know what happens with at that point. Maybe Georgia, they have a little bit of momentum. Maybe they're, you know, fired up. They're ready to roll again. So, it's going to be interesting to see Trask is going to have to play his A game. And he's going to have to limit his mistakes. And that's that's another reason why perhaps they should maybe go on the ground a little bit more. You know that these guys are good at covering the air. You know that they're good at forcing takeaways. So maybe lean on the ground game a little bit more and, and, and see what you've got. That's what Dan was talking about when he was a little bit uh, deflective, I guess is the word, mm-hmm. uh, on their second half offensive issues is that he said that they just came out conservative. Maybe it will be a true flip. They come out in the first half and they just wear Arkansas down. That that talent pool cannot keep up with Damian Pierce running for four Mm -hmm. yards after contact. And then in the second half, Kyle Pitts doesn't really need to worry about making too many mistakes. They've got a comfortable lead against a tired team and he can just go in. As he always says, pick your poison with these, uh, with these weapons that they have in the passing arsenal. They really can. I mean, this is kind of what they need to do in terms of, starting out fast but you have to also make sure that you start out strong 
like you said, wear them down in the first half, and then you're able to come in in the second half and actually perform to your highest ability in the passing game. You can do those downfield shots. Sure, you're going to take a couple shots in the first half too, but you need to make sure you establish yourself as an offense instead of trying to do a little bit too much, get burned, and then now all of a sudden you're playing catch-up to Arkansas. And then at that point, you don't know what's going to happen because, you know, as we talked about on the defensive side of the football, we've seen three weeks of poor play on defense and two weeks of good defense. So now which one are we going to see against Arkansas this week against Felipe Franks? I guess we'll find out on Saturday. Yeah, keep, yeah. Keep, oh, sure. Sorry. Go ahead, Jackie. Oh, yeah. I was just going to follow up from Demetrius there about seeing, you know, good bad defense for a couple weeks and seeing two good uh, weeks of defenses. But, you know, at the same time, you know, Georgia, there were times where I was thinking if they actually had a quarterback, mm-hmm. some of those passes, I feel like would have been disaster for Florida. Um, it was going to be a better game. I think it would be a lot closer game if – Georgia had a quarterback, which then goes back to Arkansas. And that's the reason why I think it's going to be a closer game in the beginning. And because I think with Felipe Franks, he's going to able to get, keep this game close. Um, watching him against Tennessee, um, it seems like he's his accuracy has gotten a little bit better. From I watched the second half, obviously. The second half, he was glorious. Um, so... It's going to be interesting how, you know, he, he knows this these guys in the secondary. He's very familiar with them. Um, so I think when I look at that, I can see that that could be something where this defense actually gets tested, especially that secondary, where they weren't getting tested as much against Georgia because of their lack of quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I was actually going to bring up. I was going to try and circle back to Felipe, and I'm glad that we found a way to, always. But with – um. <laughs> With his play this year, we've seen under Mullen, he did start to cut down on interceptions. That type of decision-making improved, and it's still here to this day. But he's been sacked 20 times this year, and he's fumbled Mm. seven times. So Mm -hmm. he's still losing the ball like that. We talk about him beating the secondary, but this should lead really well into our next segment, actually. We want to talk about a, a deadly duo on the defensive line when they do get to play together in Kyrie Campbell and Zach Carter. Suddenly... Everyone's worried about the defensive backs and if Felipe can burn them. But if Florida can have their way with Arkansas's offensive line, that might not matter too much. They might be able to force things out of Felipe's hand and recover fumbles, scoop and score one way or another and start creating turnovers that way. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about just the impact that Campbell and Carter provide to this defensive line when they're on the field together. And Florida certainly would hope that they're going to be on the field together full time moving forward. So, Demetrius, I will first go to you. Um, we know that this was a stat that Edgar Thompson was able, he had put together and asked throughout the week, that when Campbell and Carter are on the field uh, through four quarters this year, they've only given up one touchdown. It's definitely the best the defense has played is when those two are on the field together, or at least are eligible to be on the field together, I should say. Um so from your observations, I know you wrote about it earlier today, but how much growth have you seen from the defense when those two are on the field versus when those two aren't on the field, together at least? Well, well, it, it, it's already interesting because we, we've talked about the impact that Kyrie Campbell brings to this Gators defensive line. It not only helps him and the Gators defensive line as a whole in terms of forcing runs in – to a different angle or getting tackles for a loss, getting sacks, pass rush, but it helps other players get into better positions. And 
as we've seen, it helped Brenton Cox, but it's also helping a guy in Zach Carter who's able to play a little bit more outside than he has been in the past or for the first three games, and then I guess three and a half, and then another half because he was out. But it's just it's just one of those situations where you're at least able to see what their true defensive line is actually capable of. You know, we saw Zach Carter have a game against even Georgia in the second half. I believe he had five pressures or, or some some high number of pressures, and then that was the first time he's had that many pressures since week one, which is when he won the SEC defensive lineman of the week. So now you're getting to a point where he's getting back to that plane because he's not having to do so much on the inside. For so many weeks, we've seen Zach Carter having to be that guy who plays both inside and out, pretty much anchored the defensive line, and then have a, other guys like TJ Slayton come in and play even more. Now you have Kyrie Campbell in there, and you're able to take a little bit of snaps away from them, have them play a limited, limited amount of time, and have them produce more as a result. So I think we're already seeing everything that Kyrie Campbell can bring to this defensive line. I was actually surprised at how much of an impact he actually would have. I knew that he would have some sort of impact, but I didn't realize just how much. He's he's also able to free up the linebackers against the run. It's just There's just so many things that we've seen from Kyrie Campbell, and then with the Zach Carter duo, it's just a deadly duo for the Gators defense. Now, Jackie, in terms of getting after Felipe, how, how would you go about it? Would you just send your four and play, you know, get seven back and try not to let Felipe take the top off of you? Not that I'd trust them to win that way anyway, because even when they put seven back, they still seem to get burnt from time to time. Or would you just decide to get aggressive? Would you put the pressure on him, try and take advantage of very, very but seemingly poor play when he is getting rattled He's starting to. He's taking negative plays. He is dropping the ball. Would you just decide to go all in, try and put as much pressure on him as possible? So when I look at Arkansas's offensive line on paper, I thought in the beginning of the season, I thought it was going to be actually their strength. When I was looking at the Arkansas matchup, especially with Felipe Franks, I thought, okay, they have six returners on there. Um, I think uh, if I believe they got a transfer in from Notre Dame, and I thought, okay, this is they're, they're going to be good. But for some reason, they really have struggled in pass protection. Um, they've they've allowed so many quarterback pressures throughout the year. Felipe Franks gets sacked maybe like three, four times on average in a game. Um, they've just been just just horrible. Um, so if I was Florida and um, if I if I was looking at that, I would think, you know what, maybe we should just you know go all in and pressure him. Um, the offensive line is not doing a good job against the pass uh, for pass protection. So why just not do that and force Felipe Franks to make throws? That was a, basically a lot of the game plans for other defenses when Felipe Franks was playing for Florida, um, was to put pressure on him, especially one that O-line was not good at Florida. So, uh, and it worked. Um, you know, I think that Felipe Franks has improved in this game in a lot of ways. But sometimes his decision under pressure has not been the best. He's doing better. But again, going through his progressions was something that he struggled on. Um, now, the one thing that makes me pause a bit by saying all this is that Florida's defense historically under Todd Grantham has struggled with dual threat quarterbacks. Um, so that's the only thing that has me skittish about saying go all in as well because if you remember watching, you know, Missouri's Drew Clark, Drew Locke, for instance, he caused Florida so many problems. 
Um, and even, you know, last year, every time there was a quarterback that can run just a little bit, he would, you know, cost them a few first downs. He would keep them on the field, keep that defense on the field for a little bit longer, and they would get gassed towards the end of the game. Um, Felipe Franks does have the ability to get a few yards into as, as a runner, and he's not afraid to lower his shoulders. I remember watching him at practice um, at Florida. I think it was uh, the spring leading up to last season, and he lowered his shoulders into uh, Brad Stewart. That was one of the uh, toughest practices I saw, Brad Stewart and Felipe Frank- Franks kind of going at it and being very physical against each other. Um, so he's not afraid to do that. So that is one thing that you can give Felipe Franks. He can tip his hat to them. So you have to talk. You, if I'm Todd Grantham, I have to think. All right, I know Felipe Franks. If you put pressure on him, he will make a mistake here and there. And their O line has been allowing, you know, has been allowing guys to get to the quarterback. But then at the same time, we suck at dual threat, defending dual threat quarterbacks. So I, I would first, if I was Todd Grantham, probably be aggressive off the top and then kind of see how the game's going and adjust later. Um, but I think if you're if you're Todd Grantham, you kind of want, especially Felipe Franks coming. We're talking about how this is a trap game for Florida and emotionally mm-hmm. they're dealing with it. On the other flip side, this is an emotional game for Felipe Franks. This is a, mm-hmm. a, a Florida fan base that had a love-hate relationship with Felipe Franks. Every time Felipe Franks played well, there are still always an asterisk among Gators Twitter. I was like, is Emory Jones better? Ironically, no one talked about Kaya Trask, but you know, everyone was saying, hey, you know, it's like Felipe Franks is okay until this guy comes along. So Felipe Franks is going to come in in the swamp trying to prove something too. So you've got a guy who's on edge who wants to play and prove to this crowd, the crowd that he shushed against uh, when Florida beat South Carolina in the comeback fashion. So this guy has a lot to prove in his mind to Florida fans. Um, so I think if you're Todd Grantham, you want to kind of nudge him a bit coming up the top. Yeah, and we saw even earlier this year the struggles with dual-threat quarterbacks. They're still there. Matt Corral mm-hmm. threw for 395 yards and rushed for another 50 in a game where Ole Miss put up 613. That still blows my mind. The amount of offensive production on both sides in that game. That blows my mind. The lane train is back. The lane train is back. But I mean, but we saw that from Matt Corral. We saw he didn't put up his gaudy numbers, but Kellen Mond put up 338 and three, completing over 70% of his passes. And he was even, there were times where they did dial it up against him. He just got the ball out so quickly and so efficiently that if that's an area where, and this is something where tape study, I, I will want to do a little bit more before the game. Seeing just how Franks reacts to that pressure and getting those quick throws out. Because you can always trust yeah. him on those big, deep ones. But it's it's the quick, quick processing, quick hitters and hit a guy where he needs to be to create something after con or after the catch is where we'll want to see the biggest growth if he is going to be able to dominate the Florida's defense. Yeah, and, and, and if you look at the Razorbacks, they're so reliant on those big plays right now because they can't sustain drives um, because Felipe Frank seems to be running for his life all the time. Um, so I think that's why I still think Grantham's going to let's push, push his buttons a little bit. Um, but I just – the only thing I'm worried about, again, is can Felipe Franks, who knows this defense too, can, can he kind of run around a bit um, and gain a few yards to try to sustain a drive here and there? But and his, right now, this season, that's not Razorbacks' strength. They they hardly ever sustain a drive. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it'll certainly be interesting. Uh, we can't wait to see what happens. And, you know, it, it, as journalists, we can't say we want to see Florida win. Obviously, we hope the best for them. I will, like we were saying earlier, I will be more than happy if we walk out of that stadium and Felipe Franks just as the crowd on Saturday night. That would just be what a sight to see. I'd be completely fine with it. And it's not just for Florida to lose, obviously. It's just to see that and that reaction and that atmosphere. And you always want to see a kid perform to the best of his ability and to get that shining moment. It would just be an interesting storyline and everything surrounding it. Obviously, Florida winning probably be better for us down the road because if they go into the SEC championship game, you know, we got another game to talk about. So I guess party we'll find Atlanta. out. But Quarantine party, party in Atlanta. Atlanta. Quarantine <laughs> party in Atlanta. Um, I guess we'll find out, though. Yeah, I think I, I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Felipe Franks early on, um, but I thought during his time at Florida, he matured. And I think he got a lot of flack and a lot of criticisms for being an emotional player, which I thought was, mm. I think it was kind of harsh for a kid, especially like at against the University of Miami in this, the season opener. A lot of people were saying that he wasn't a leader. He was, not, he, he was just acting out. And I'm thinking this is a, a young man who plays this favorite sport. He's in the college. He's he's living life and he's trying to animate his players. He's not Kyle Trask. He's the opposite of Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask is a <laughs> calm, even keel guy who you have to really work hard to get an emotion off of him. I think the most emotion we've got of him is when we talked about paper straws being um, banned in Alachua <laughs> County. Um, but Felipe Franks is a guy that wears his emotions on his sleeve. It's good sometimes. It's bad the other times. But I think he got unfair criticism. Felipe Frank's story here. There was one time where, um, so I'm a mom of two kids. My first kid, Mateo, um, he was just under, I think, a year and a half. I was running around a year and a half, so he was under two years old. Um, my husband and I didn't have a sitter that day, so we had to coordinate a post-game, a post-practice interview session where he, I took Mateo to practice, waited outside, and my, my husband came in, kind of tag team so I can go in and do practice interviews. My son was really upset. He, he, you know, he wanted mommy and he kept yelling. Felipe Franks was out and he started playing with my son and just, you know, making, like he's an uncle. So he just started, you know, acting on playing with my son. And then, um, my husband explained, yeah, my, my wife is in there. She's reporting. Oh, she's a reporter. She started playing. And that just, when I came out, that just kind of, like, granted, we know mm. these guys, but that was a moment I was like, this is the side of Felipe Franks not many people see. Um, we see this, uh, you know, emotional guy on the field that might, you know, might look like a jerk to opposing guys or, you know, shushing across South Carolina. But this is a this is a human being who does have different faces to him. He does have, you know, different sides to his personality. He's, you know, he's a guy who saw a kid crying for his mom and decided to play with him for a second while the, while the mom mm. is inside um, doing interviews. Um, and actually, my son, I still remember to this day when uh, Felipe Franks went down against Kentucky because I didn't go to the game because I was pregnant with my now daughter Elena and um so I stayed home for that road trip and he kept when Felipe Franks went down he was asking where is 13 he never knew his name he said where is 13 so um I I do I I, when Felipe Franks come back on Saturday to Gainesville uh, although professionally it would be nice to follow a team kind of go far and go college football playoffs but I do want to I do wish Felipe Franks well in the game yeah same here I think this will kind of be my closing thing. It was right after I joined the beat. It was right when I started going to practices and getting to talk to, te- uh, to players on the team. 
And of course, a, a personality like Frank's is going to rub people the wrong way. I'm sure that he had some people that weren't necessarily his friend within the Florida locker room. Again, just speculation because of his personality, not something I know. But anytime you went and talked to anyone that was made available for uh, the team, offense, defense, you people lit up talking about the guy. They, they loved the dude. And that was something that we still heard this year as well. Uh, or no, this week as well. Malik Davis sharing memories about him. Brett Heggie, his former roommate, sharing memories. The guys on defense saying that they love to chirp with him, but that's just who he is and what they like to do. You, you won't find anyone, I don't think in hindsight, that really has a ill will or bad thought going towards Felipe. And that should make this game really all the more fun. And I know that we're all looking forward to it. And with that... I think that should just about do it for today's episode. Uh, the Felipe Franks episode 2.0, essentially. Uh, Jackie, uh, of course, thank you for stopping by. Uh, make sure to let everyone know where they can find you as well as your work. Yeah, sure. You can follow me on Twitter at, at JackieFran underscore. My name, Jackie, is complicated. It's a Q-U-I-E, not K-I-E, because I like to make people's difficult when they're trying to spell my name on Twitter. <laughs> And you can uh, also find my work on SIL Gators or also on First and 10 or on WCJB.com. So, um, and if you're in the Gainesville area um, or in Marion County towards the Ocala area, I'm also sometimes on your TV screen doing news and sports. So you can watch me there too. Make sure you go and turn it on over at uh, TV 20. Uh, make sure to check that out. I need to get cable just so I can throw some support as well. We're also on Roku and on Hulu TV and on YouTube TV. All right, I've got Roku. I can make that one. And, and bunny ears over the air. All right, that one I don't even know. So you have no excuses, Zach. <laughs> I don't. Okay, but neither, neither do you. You've got to find a way to stream over there in Jackson. Hey, I never said that I didn't have availability of this. You're the one who said you didn't have availability. That's, true. That, you're, that's right. That's right. You're right. You're putting all the pressure on me here. Anyway, uh, and as for us, you can make sure to follow us over at Locked On Gators. You Find Demetrius at Demetrius82 and myself at Zach underscore Goodall. Make sure to uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know what you think of the show, and we will catch up with you guys next time.